0: Good morning, Chapel Roswell. My name is Joe McKechnie, and I am so blessed to be your pastor here. God is doing some amazing, mighty things. And as we prepare our hearts and our minds, our spirits toward Christmas, I pray that we can come together and we can focus on what it means to be the children of God during the season that we call Advent. Now, my wife and I and our two kids, we've only been a part of this community for a handful of months, and I can't speak for you, okay? I can look back, though, and I can see one area of my life that has always been this detrimental component, okay? Full disclosure this morning, it seems like no matter where I've lived, no matter how old I've been, no matter my stage of life, my bedroom has always been a disaster, Remember when you were a kid and your parents would tell you that we've got company coming. That would be the time in which we'd have a, maybe my dad's boss coming for dinner and my parents would always urge me to to make sure our room was clean. My mom would spend hours preparing for a meal and getting the house ready for the boss to come over or our friends to come over. And my mom would tell me repeatedly, Joe, get your room clean. And all I would do is I would stall and I would hem and I would haul and then maybe I would throw everything in the closet or, or stuff everything under the bed. For whatever reason, I just have never been able to kind of overcome that little obstacle in life. My parents, out of their frustration, no doubt, just kind of had a closed door policy. Joe, if your room is going to be a mess, keep your door closed. It would have been too embarrassing for other folks to see how the McKechnie household lived if the the, the room had been open and people could see how messy it was. Even if all the rest of the living areas in the house look neat and tidy, my room has always been a disaster. I remember the day after Thanksgiving. This literally is just a handful of days ago. We had Thanksgiving dinner at at my sister-in-law's house. And then the day after, we were having all of our family, my wife's family and my family, even people we haven't seen since our wedding, were coming to our new house. And we chugged along, getting everything ready, everything unpacked, all of the boxes dismantled, and we had our Christmas tree up. The fact that people were coming over really kind of lit that fire underneath us to to make sure that the house was going to be ready. The house was ready, except for one room. What room was that? You've been our house, haven't you? I think you, you know where this is going. If there were things that weren't quite ready, we would just stuff them in our bedroom. If there were boxes that weren't quite completely unpacked, uh, we would stuff them in our bedroom. The rest of the house was beautiful. It was ornate. It was well-decorated, except for that one room, and that was our bedroom. Some habits just, folks, don't die hard. And while we were giving our family the the official tour of the new McKechnie home, everybody was celebratory and everyone was really excited, except for me. I was just a little little angst, you know, anxiety, a little bit nervous that that, that somebody was going to accidentally step into our room and see this other dimension of the McKechnie household that we've been able to keep quiet for so long. I, I sunk to a new low, friends. I will share this just with you. I even locked our door from the inside so that nobody could accidentally go in and see what a hazard our bedroom had become. It turned out to be such this sweet and special day. And, and as we unwound from a, a busy and hectic uh, weekend, my, my wife, Catherine, she just looked at me and said, you know, Joe, my, my little emotion dumpling. Yeah, okay. I want a house, I want a home with a clean bedroom. And for the first time in, in nearly my five decades of existence, I vowed that I was going to do a better job to make sure our bedroom, instead of being a, uh, the, the, the sacred playground that it's called to be, it had become a, a hazardous dumping ground. And so since then, since the day after Thanksgiving, I have been a man on a mission. I wanted to get our bedroom spruced up to look good, not only up to par, but looking like the sacred space that God calls it to be. And so this past week, my wife was in Charlotte for a couple of days in North Carolina, visiting a childhood friend and my wheels were turning. I wanted to do something special. So when she came back, she would see a totally different bedroom, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to to make this a a place that would be honoring to her, a place in which we wanted to be. And so my mission was to have this new bedroom completely done, to unveil it, to reveal it as she came back into town. It would be a great surprise. I reached out to to both sets of parents. We're blessed that both of our, our parents are alive and they live within about 30 minutes of us. Catherine has a twin sister, and they have four kids, and they live only about 25 minutes from us. And so we had all these wheels in motion, all of these plans in place that when Catherine was in North Carolina for a day and a half, we were going to transform this bedroom into this wonderful utopia. Her mom was traveling all over uh, North Atlanta to to find furniture that would be beautiful and practical for a wife on on a practical and affordable pastor's salary. We we got new lamps, and and we had beautiful but affordable pieces of of light fixtures put in our room. Uh, My parents came over and helped clean up and get the house all, all ready. My dad even found some wiring that wasn't quite up to par, and so we had to get that ready. Catherine's twin sister, like I said, she was in on the ruse, in on the surprise. She knew the changes that were happening even beneath the surface. And so we worked like crazy to get this room to look totally different than it was before, to transform it, like I said, from a dumping ground into a playground. And so when my wife got back in town on Thursday night, The kids and I were so excited to share with her what this new room was going to look like. Now, I have some before and after pictures, okay? This is what our room looked like this time last week. Okay, just soak it in. After a handful of days, this is what it looks like now. You can see, my goodness, we worked hard. Now, now I know that the pictures are a little over the top, but, th- but honestly, the story is very much real. And all of that happened within the span of about four days. I vow to make our bedroom a priority. God has given us a fresh start and a new beginning with it in this new home, and I want to make sure that I hold true to that vow. So you guys are going to hold me accountable, okay? You can call me or email me or stop by, and I promise I'm not going to lock the door from the inside so you can't see what really goes on. I want to make sure that my response leads to a changed heart. Hear that again. That, that, that my response leads to a changed heart. Now, this morning we continue through the season of Advent as we delve deeper toward Christmas. Now, Advent is a, a kind of a fancy church word that maybe some of you have heard before. It literally means in Latin, the arrival of. Specifically, Advent is the season of anticipation, of hope, of preparation, even of waiting as we prepare our hearts and our lives for Christ. While the birth of Christ brings about a new beginning and a fresh perspective, it was also an event that had been spoken of and dreamed of long before Jesus was born. Now, the short passage of Scripture that I want to look at this morning takes us back about 720 years before Jesus was born. It's one of the most commonly used Scriptures at Christmas. Now, last Sunday I shared a little bit of the backstory to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. I'll kind of jog our memories in just a second. But centuries before Jesus would be born, this message of hope would be spoken would be preached, would be prayed amongst the people as they anticipated the coming of the Messiah. And so instead of me just reading this to you this morning, let's kind of step out of the box. And I want to read this together, okay? So, so get your, 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 your good Sunday bold voices on as we read Isaiah seven fourteen together. Okay, you're ready on the count of three. Here we go. Isaiah 7:14: 1, two, three. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Now, these are some pretty heavy declarations, okay? And they're meant to be promises and assurances to the original audience, but also to you and to me in North Georgia at the eve of 2019, okay? The word Emmanuel literally means the strong God is with us. Very often we hear, okay, God with us, Emmanuel. But when you really dig deep into the root of that word, it literally means the strong God, Not just God with us. The strong God is with us. Emmanuel is not Jesus' proper name, but it was an identity. It was an attribute that really belonged to him. This is who he is. From the point of that miraculous birth, God would reveal himself in the form of humanity to show his presence among his people. To you and to me included in that. In fact, the verse from Isaiah is quoted in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1, 22 and 23, or 21, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. We know that prophet is Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, uh, last week, we we gave out, to those of you who were here, a, a collection of daily readings that we can spend literally maybe eight or nine minutes with each night. If you didn't get one of these last week, we'll have some at the exits this morning, and we invite you to take one just each day to to, to be intentional and deliberate about spending time with your family or with your neighbors or with your friends, people who are important to you, to read something that is not only life-enhancing, but is meant to be life-changing, life-transforming. Now, last Saturday night, my family was heartbroken and we were crestfallen. I'm a Georgia grad. And we had looked forward. No, don't laugh, okay? That's, that's not meant to be funny. We were so excited. This was a night that was going to just live in our memories after Georgia jumped out to this amazing lead. But, but our beloved Bulldogs, oh, my goodness, they lost a tight game in the SEC Championship. The game was played in Atlanta at the beautiful new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was a game for the ages. We had been anticipating and hoping, and even, yes, praying for this moment for a long, long, long time. And Wow, imagine how crestfallen we were when that moment came and it went, leading to this sense of disappointment. Now, yeah, we, we do have a lot of hope for the future, okay? But last Saturday night, it was disappointing. It was a time of disillusionment. Now, let's fast forward a week later. Last night, our son's basketball team had a late game. We got home about 9 o'clock, turned on the TV, watched the end of a sporting event from the exact same field that we were watching the week before. Some of you know what happened last night. Anybody just want to shout it out? Okay. Keep going, that way I don't have to work on a ceremony. Keep going. Okay, the, the Atlanta United, a, a pro soccer team, won the, the Major League Soccer Championship. If you've ever been to an Atlanta United game, my goodness, it is something amazing. Uh, just the beat, it's nothing short of, of like this electricity in the air. The, the pac Mercedes-Benz Stadium with well over 74,000 people last night. A nationally televised audience saw a team that's only two years old win the championship and lift up the trophy. That that same field eight days ago was one of missed opportunities with a sense of agony and defeat. And yet last night, that very same field was one of victory and celebration. That's what we talk about when we talk about the good news of the gospel, when we talk about the season of Advent. It made headlines around the city. Even if you know nothing or maybe just a teensy little bit about soccer, you realize that, my goodness, this was a special occasion. Even those of you who don't know all the details, you can take part in this celebration realizing that, my goodness, this is something amazing, this is something that is memorable. And friends, that's what we talk about as we go through this season of Advent leading up to the time of Christmas. Whether you grew up in a church or maybe you're attending worship for the first time in your life this morning. Whether you've been a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ or today you're fully and for the first time understanding the power of Christ as Savior. Whether you have deep-rooted understandings of church traditions or you're just now beginning to see the light of Christmas. That Advent is a time of preparing for, even, I dare say, of waiting for, of living out that light that brings the the, the glow of Christ in the midst of the darkness of our world. That regardless of your background, this is something special. This is something different. And so this morning, we we continue to, to, to focus on the star and our theme of to follow. Because the truth is, each one of us is following something. Maybe we don't want to acknowledge it. Maybe we don't even want to see that it's there. But we are following something. Maybe it's the right thing or maybe it's off course. But through Scripture and the promises and the presence and the movement of the Holy Spirit, God is showing us the light. God is giving us something, in this case, someone to follow. And how are we going to respond to that? God sent Jesus into a dark and a hurting world to show us the way. In fact, not only to show us the way, not only to point to the way, but the Scripture promises us to be the way. John 14, 6, Jesus declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, so let me go back to the Old Testament, okay? Isaiah was a prophet. A prophet was someone in this official public arena who was a designated spokesperson for God. Prophets, they weren't always welcomed, they weren't always appreciated. Sometimes they had to paint the harsh realities of people who continue to, to willingly walk in darkness. The, the prophets were, were described in one of two ways either a major prophet, or a minor prophet. And it's not what we think of like as major leagues versus minor leagues. It had nothing to do with the importance that they had, nothing to do even with their message. It really just had to do with the length and maybe the depth of what they were saying. Okay, Isaiah is considered kind of the greatest of these major prophets. Again, not referring to any significance, but he was a major prophet writing over the span of more than 50 years to people who were defeated, and they were humiliated. They were exiled, and they longed, and they cried out to God for something new. And in the midst of that darkness, Isaiah painted this prophetic picture of hope. Remember, he was writing to people who were defeated, Who were walking in darkness saying that God is going to bring to you to show you this light. He was speaking to people in despair saying God is going to bring you hope. He was writing to people, speaking to people in distress, offering them comfort and the assurance that God is bigger than the circumstances that they were facing then and there. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, Isaiah writes. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. God promises to to give the people a sign. Not not even an easy-to-miss sign, okay? You knew that this was something out of the ordinary. This was something special. A virgin will conceive a son. And folks, that didn't happen back then any more than it does today. Okay, she's going to give birth to a son, and you will call him what? Remember? Emmanuel. Like I said, Emmanuel is not a name. It's a descriptive term that literally means the strong God with us. And so when we journey through Advent toward Christmas, we begin to see Jesus more fully, that his birth brought about hope into a hurting world and maybe for you, hope into a hurting place, to, to, to bring about light in the midst of darkness and hope in the midst of defeat. Remember I said Advent is one of those kind of fancy church words that maybe some of you have heard, maybe some of you ha- haven't, but, but there's another church word that I'm going to introduce you to this morning, and that word is this, incarnation, incarnation. It literally means God becoming flesh. God becoming flesh, that that, that Jesus is God with skin. Now, I want you to turn to the person sitting on your left, and I want you to say the three-syllable words, four-syllable, incarnation. Okay, you can do that now. Incarnation. God becoming flesh. Through Advent, we recognize the incarnation. We recognize the redemption of the world. We recognize that God loves us so much that in order to save us, he became one of us. God in human form, God becoming flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. That through Jesus, both fully human and fully divine, that that Jesus is the Savior who would usher and woo the people back to the Father pointing to light in the midst of darkness. And so, friends, as we move through the season of Advent, we use this as a time to prepare our hearts and our minds and our lives for the true meaning, the true life-transforming impact of God with us. Let me take you back to Christmas Day. The year was 1914. It was one of the darkest days of World War I. It was on a battlefield in Europe, Flanders, now in modern-day Belgium. World War I had started in August and by Christmas Day, there were English and French soldiers who were bunkered down in the trenches. These muddy ditches were, were six to eight feet deep and they seemed to stretch as far as the eye could see you'd have one area, and you'd have this other bunker, this other trench. But in between was this area known as no man's land. It was covered in barbed wire in many cases. It was about 60 yards long. These French and these English troops were, 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 were battling these German troops who, who were just about 70 yards away, and the sounds of rifles firing and shells exploding continually and constantly pierced the air. Occasionally, a soldier would come up out of the trenches and run toward the enemy only to be shot and killed as dead bodies littered the no-man's land between these two sides. But something different happened. On Christmas Day, true story, 1914, something changed. Instead of gunfire and explosion, you could hear the voices of soldiers singing. Not sure if it started amongst the German or the Allied troops, but somehow Silent Night, Holy Night, was being sung in their respective native tongues. The French and the German soldiers didn't understand the languages of the either, but they recognized the tune, and many of them started even to sing along. The fighting, albeit momentarily, stopped And slowly, a handful of soldiers from both sides climbed out of these man-made holes in the ground to let it be known that they wanted to receive their dead bodies of their fallen comrades. No one fired a shot. A few more men climbed out of the trenches and walked towards the center of this no-man's land. Soldiers would later write letters back to their parents and family talking about what a surreal experience it was. More and more soldiers climbed out of the bunkers, walking into the middle of this war zone. Soon, English and French soldiers on the Western Front were conversing with their German enemies. Many of the German soldiers had worked in England prior to the war, and they knew some English. Many of them exchanged chocolate and postcards and shared newspaper clippings and showed off letters or pictures of their family back home. Some soldiers even made a makeshift Christmas tree and placed small lit candles in the branches. But the best time of all was when someone pulled out an old soccer ball and they started an impromptu soccer match. Enemies becoming teammates on that Christmas day back in 1914. Historians now refer to it as the Christmas Soccer Truce. Unfortunately, it didn't last forever. In fact, some of the generals said, no, we're here to fight, keep fighting, keep shooting. After all, they were in a war. Some soldiers even wasted rounds of ammunition shooting at the stars in the sky instead of the soldiers in the opposing army across the field. And when the sun, friends, sat that Christmas day, unfortunately, so did the truce. In all, more than 16 million people lost their lives in World War I. But on that one solitary Christmas of 1914, well over a century ago, these weary combat veterans enjoyed a slice of silent night. But then they went back to the battle that they had been waging all along. It brought a, a moment of tenderness and peace, but they didn't allow it to stay that way. There's a, a very, very minor Scottish poet. His name is Frederick Niven, and four years later, he, he wrote a poem about the Christmas Day soccer truce. He entitled it, "A Carol from Flanders." Their rifles all they set aside, one impulse to obey. Twas just the men on either side, just men on Christmas Day. They dug the graves for all their dead, and over them they did pray. And Englishmen and Germans said, how strange a Christmas day. Between the trenches, then they met, shook hands, and even did play at games on which their hearts were set on happy Christmas day. Oh, ye who read this truthful rhyme from Flanders, kneel and say, God speed the time when every day shall be as Christmas day. In the midst of war, they encountered a brief moment of peace. But when that peace was over, they they went back to their old ways of doing things. And friends, I pray that as we embrace the light, as we follow Christ, as we follow that star, we fully embrace all that it is that God wants to be in our lives. That, that, That we don't want to go back to that place from which we came. To the contrary, we want to follow that light. And you and, I, you and I may not literally live in a, a war zone in Europe, but, but I know sometimes maybe it feels like it. We have to also remember that the absence of war doesn't automatically make peace, that, that we face conflict our, in our relationships. We face pressures and expectations within our families or at work, or, or we carry around the, the sin that pulls us away from where God wants us to be. Maybe we drag around pride that keeps us from being the the man or or the woman that God calls us to be. Or or maybe we're draped with shame, which allows events from the past to drag us down and pull us back. We, We deal with financial stress and illness and disease and even in this world, death. But in the midst of that darkness, of that hurting, God sent a tiny baby, Emmanuel, strong God with us. We talk about the birth of Jesus and the the, the little baby in another part of the world in another time. And we don't stop to think about how this is great news of good joy, not only for them, but for you and me. Not just good views, but good news that changes our lives. Uh, Last week, we, we lit the first candle of Advent and over the next couple of weeks, as we build up to Christmas, we'll light another candle. The candle represents God sending his son to bring light, to bring hope in the midst of darkness, in the midst of defeat, in the midst of despair. And, uh, friends, I-, I pray that as we continue through the season of Advent, we can realize that all of this culminates with something, that Advent is a time of preparation, of anticipation, But also sometimes it's a season of waiting. But it's waiting with hope. Knowing that God is bringing about breakthrough. God is bringing about new beginnings, not only to the world, not only to this universe, but to your life and to my life, specifically here and now. That that hope means that we truly believe that there is something that we can't yet see. That hope requires not just perseverance, not just to follow, but also patience. Let's face it, because of sin and the world, our relationship with God has been affected. That's the bad news of humanity. But friends, in the midst of that bad news, Jesus brings about good news. The birth of Jesus was God showing his incredible love to his people, strong God with us. The world was in rough shape and no one had any hope that things would work themselves out. No one had any chance to believe that things were going to get any better. They cried out to God, and in the midst of that darkness, a light came. The Christmas story is one in which Jesus is fighting for you and fighting for me, that God humbled himself, purposely replacing the throne for a manger, exchanging heaven for a messed-up world so that we could say, Strong God with us. No longer will fear overpower our hope. No longer will doubt overpower our joy. No longer will death rob us of life. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. This would have been shocking, even scandalous to the Jewish audience. After all, they had been praying for a Messiah, this anointed one, okay? But, but most assumed that he would be sent down directly from heaven in the form of a mighty warrior, not in the form of a helpless baby born to an unwed teenage mother from a seemingly insignificant little northern village. But here scripture is telling us what Jesus will do. And something that that Jesus spoke, the the truth of God that would later be revealed, that we can never place our hope in our circumstances, but instead placing our hope in God. That God's people in the first century, they wanted God to come and change their oppressive circumstances to to fend off the the mighty Roman Empire. They were angry and they were disillusioned and, and they were defeated. The Jewish people assumed that God had forgotten about them because of all their struggles, even though God, through the prophets, had warned them that you're kind of straying in the wrong direction. That God is saying no matter how bleak things look, that he is bringing about hope. That our hope isn't in our circumstances. No, ba- no matter how badly we want them or how important they seem to be to us at the time. I think one of the devil's traps is getting us to look at the future to believe that we would just be more happy if our circumstances were what they always were. But that's why we hope not in circumstances but in Christ. That Friends, we're not that different than those who have come before us. Waiting can cause us to to lose hope or losing sight of where God is calling us to be. And it's not difficult at times to fall into this mode of, of just settling place of settling where the future maybe looks dim and we begin to believe in our present circumstances that things aren't going to get better. But in the midst of that darkness, Jesus came. The season of Advent is meant to remind us, to slow things down, to remember that each year we can begin anew, remembering once again that the hope of Jesus is promised in you and to me. And I pray that we can live out that hope, that we can forgive in the midst of that hope, that we can allow our marriages, our lives, our relationships, our parenting, our friendships to be transformed. And we cling to that hope that God is bringing about light in the midst of darkness. And as we respond to God's call this morning, this is a, a response that we'll invite you to be a part of. You, you can see up here three different baskets. They're all the same. In in the baskets, you have some some dark blue ribbon. Very often when you think of of a ribbon, something to remind you, it's going to be upbeat, it's going to be white, or it's going to be yellow, a bright, shocking color, but but this is seemingly one that blends into the surroundings. May it remind us that that in the midst of that darkness, that, that God is bringing about hope. That sometimes the hope isn't as instantaneous as we may hope or want. But it's still hope nonetheless. We'll invite you to to come down. We've got some scissors here. And we invite you just to to cut off a a little piece of ribbon. To take it to serve as a, a visible and a tangible reminder of God's presence, of God's peace, of God's hope in the midst of darkness. May it be a solid reminder that you are not alone, that God is with us. The strong God is with us. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. Through the birth of a tiny baby who was born into a dark and dangerous world, you went to great lengths to show your love to a hurting humanity. Lord, you want it to see a relationship with you restored. And through our faith in Jesus, you make this possible. That, Lord, you extend the invitation to receive the gift of your grace, a, a love and forgiveness that is not merited or earned or achieved or even deserved. But rather, it's a love that is freely poured out upon us. This is the good news of Christ. And as we gather to celebrate his birth, Lord, we cling to that hope, to his promises, to the assurances of eternal life. And while we remember the stories of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men, give us the eyes to see our place in that Christmas story. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.